Welcome to JLab, a podcast from the Civic Journalism Lab, a forum for professional, student and community journalists in the northeast of England to meet, learn and collaborate. It's supported by Newcastle University and by BBC Northeast and Cumbria. My name is Ian Wiley and the focus of this podcast episode is the intersection between technology and journalism. And we'll be hearing the thoughts and experiences of Paul Gallagher, who is Digital Innovations Editor at Reach PLC, formerly Trinity Mirror and the UK's largest news publisher. I think it's fair to say that for much of the last 20 years, technology has been viewed with suspicion, maybe even as the enemy by journalists, who didn't like seeing their traditional methods and business models disrupted, even destroyed. But perhaps we're entering a new phase now, where we're beginning to see technology as an enabler that can not only help us solve problems like combating the scourge of fake news, but perhaps empower us to do even better journalism. So let's listen to what Paul has to share about how his news organisation is using technology to reach more people with better storytelling. Um, the, the sort of intersection of technology and journalism is something that I've, I've always been interested in. My, my background is I actually was a, a computer programmer for a, a couple of years before I retrained as a journalist and then I was a, um, a print journalist uh, working for... Um, as a, uh, working for newspapers, national and regional newspapers. Um, but for the last 10 years, I've really specialised in um, digital journalism and specifically for regional titles and um, working at, at the Manchester Evening News predominantly. I'm based in Manchester, uh, where I was head of online. And then the last five years, I've almost had uh, what for me is a dream job. It's, um, I'm working, my job title, is, as Ian said, is Digital Innovations Editor. And I work across the entire group, so um, I'm not just based in Manchester, work across all our newsrooms. And I get to really do the fun stuff, so I get to try out uh, new gadgets, uh, testing new technology, um, and looking at ways that we can sustain um, and grow local journalism in a digital world. So I'm going to talk a bit about that, really, some of the, th- some of the things that we've been trying out, both um, at the Manchester Evening News and the titles that Reach runs and you know as Ian says they're everywhere. We, the Newcastle Chronicle is part of Reach. Uh, plenty of titles in the northeast, in Hull, uh, Teesside, Grimsby, and then right across the country. So Liverpool, Manchester, Birmingham, Bristol, Cardiff, and um, Leeds, and we're also in Scotland and Ireland. So newsrooms everywhere, uh, hundreds of journalists, and they're all um, trying to find uh, new ways of telling stories. And so the as my job is to uh, help them with that. So the, uh, I've got some slides, that's, uh, and I'll, um, I'll talk about over them. So yeah, first of all, I think the, I think the um, point Ian made about uh, techn- technology disrupting journalism, I suppose the, the biggest disruption has been the, the mobile device and the, you know, the, um, the changes in the, the platforms that people consume journalism. And, the, um, and that hasn't just changed um, the, the, the publication and the consumption of journalism, but also storytelling and, and news gathering. Um, and really, we've been living with that for 10 years, and it's still playing out. But I think there's a, a second wave of disruption that comes from uh, di- uh, everybody consuming journalism on di- digital devices. And that is that we know far more about the audience than we ever did in print. And um, that sort of uh, way, that sort of a mountain of information about the audience 
is also changing journalism now and it's changing the newsrooms, changing career structures. Um, but I think, as Ian said, it is also beginning to point to a way that we can build a, a sustainable future for regional journalism in the digital world. So I'll come to that um, at the end. So run through some of the, some of the different ways that we're telling stories um, on our regional sites um, on digital. And that's obviously the, um, one of the key uh, advantages we've got is that we're not limited anymore to, the, um, to telling a story with, a, with a one picture and 300 words like we are uh, in a newspaper. And there are lots of ways that we can tell stories in more immersive and um, interactive ways. And I've, I've got a couple of examples here. Hopefully these will work, but these are close, very close to home. So, the, um, so the, when it was the, uh, the millionth runner of the Great North Run, instead of uh, doing it in the usual way, the, the Chronicle were able to really make that story come to life. We use a, um, a platform called Shorthand to tell stories um, in, in, in immersively and using scrolling, scrolling reveals to tell a story. So you can see that people will scroll and you can start to tell the story of the Great North Run in a way that you just couldn't have done before. Um, there's some really nice features in shorthand, so um, you, you can have, um, uh, you yeah, the, the story goes on, but uh, you can have sort of video titles. Um, this one's really nice, so you, as you're reading the story, the people run past, um, make the story come to life with graphics. Um, and there's, um, that, that gives us a way of, of telling stories that, that um, we could never do before. And similarly, with uh, data, telling stories about uh, you know, big issues using data, instead of uh, using stats, the Chronicle can now use in-house built, uh, in built digital platforms to tell stories in more engaging ways. So the um, gender inequality in Newcastle, uh, an investigation into that, that was able to, uh, uh, the journalists were able to really bring that to life by using um, an, a scrolling, interactive uh, storytelling platform. Um, now, eventually, the data will show you. So, instead of having graphs, you can show what that what those people look like, what that what that stat looks like in numbers. So, if if uh, if Newcastle was however many people, that's what the gender divide looks like. Um, these are what the old the, the qualifications in different gender roles. Um, and so digital gives us that opportunity to really engage audiences around an important story. Um, we can also use uh, lots of the other techniques like um, 360 degrees cameras. Um, this, I'll try and launch this article, it might, hopefully it will launch quickly. Um, but this was an article we did for the Manchester Evening News, just using a phone and the, um, the Street View app. Uh, to tell a story about a building, a derelict building that was being brought to life um, as a new food and drink destination. But um, being able to allow people to explore the story and explore the building um, is something that we can now do and, and, um, and really engage audiences. So I don't know if there's any sound on here, but... So Nick Johnson, uh, 
so this, guy, this Nick Johnson is, has renovated this building, but the, at the time it hadn't been renovated. So allowing people to explore the area, but also go in and have a look round. So you get the idea. So you, this, I mean, these are ways that we can allow people, instead of us telling a story, as I say, in text and images, allow people to go in and explore and find the things that are interesting to them in, um, in, in the journalism. And the, um, that was done just with a phone. There was no, there was no 360 de cam degree cameras used in that. That was just done with, a, with, a, with a, an iPhone and Street View app. Um, and, but we, we have been looking at using 360 degree cameras to tell stories in other ways. And we, there are, we, have, we did buy a load of cameras that we could attach to the phones. Um, we did a project around the election. So the, um, we filmed a lot of the election counts and um, this, I think this was quite interesting because it did show you, it, it showed us, uh, it was able to show the audience the extent to which things are stage managed, particularly in politics. So where people, you have a, a person standing there, you have the people, the politicians getting the results at the end of the election and all the cameras are pointing the same direction. You do that in a, with a 360 degree camera, people can see the, the people behind the scenes, the, the party officials with the clipboards and how everything's been uh, is basically staged and give people that full picture. So that was um, a really interesting way to tell the, the story of the election, the last election. And then uh, uh, again, you know, these, I think in many cases, 360 degree pictures or videos may seem like gimmicks, but sometimes they are the, almost the most powerful way to tell a story. I don't know whether this will work. If might check with a launch into photo. Yeah, well, okay. So after the arena attack um, in Manchester, there was this astonishing um, uh, floral tribute that built up in the middle in the city centre. And um, by just doing a, using a, doing a 360 degree image of that, posting that natively on Facebook, it was the most effective way for people to see uh, to see what was going on to capture what was going on there and that that image reached three million people um, on the uh, Manchester Evening News Facebook so it was a, uh, a really a really sort of like effective way of, of telling that story. Um, I think we're increasingly seeing the, um, the cameras as well as capturing 360 degree that we can tell stories obviously we, you can put a camera more or less, more or less anywhere and we can tell stories by putting cameras into the places where the stories are happening. Um, whether that could be a drone in the case of the top left there, which is, um, we, could, we did a, a drone picture of a festival site. Um, you can use dash cam footage. I just saw this one on the Chronicle website today, this, which is using police um, dash cam, uh, police body cam footage. So you can, you know, the, when that's being released. Um, but one experiment we did do, which was quite interesting was what would it be like if you could put a camera on a reporter? You know, if, you, if a camera, a reporter could wear a camera. And we, this we used Google Glass, which uh, um, we, got, we got a sort of a development model of Google Glass at the time that it was launched. Now, obviously, Google Glass got a bit of bad press, but we did quite, do quite an interesting experiment using it um, that showed that you, there is potential for a wearable camera on a journalist to tell stories in a different way. Um, one, of, one of the ways it worked quite well was the, um, 
Manchester City launched a, 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 um, a hospitality box which costs £25,000 for one game. So the, um, this is, these are probably the most expensive seats in football. Um, and our journalists were invited to go along. And uh, they wore the, she wore the Google Glass uh, camera. And so she was able to capture the moment when you walk through the door and you're offered a glass of champagne. And there's the, you can probably just about see there's a Premier League trophy in the background there. That's the real Premier League trophy in your, in your hospitality box. And of course, what everyone wants to know, if you're paying £25,000, um, for a watch of football matches, what's the buffet like? Yeah, what's the food like? And so she walked along um, the buffet and talked about what was on, on offer and, um, then, and then walked out into the stadium. So the, um, that could have been done with a, holding a camera, obviously, it could have been done holding a phone, but doing it by with just wearing the glass and walking through, it did capture sort of a, a, a VIP eye view of the experience. And it was uh, the other... Um, it wasn't just, you know, there were a few, we tried out, we tried out the Google Glass in a few different um, sort of traditional news settings as well. And again, it worked, um, it was quite interesting, the results. So one of them was um, there was uh, some people living in caves in Manchester. So people, homeless people living in caves. And the reporter wore the camera while she walked around the, these caves. And so you were able to see um, what it was like just to walk around these places, these caves where people live um, in, uh, in Stockport. And we also tried it out with um, court reporting, which was really interesting because um, we, uh, uh, we, did, we covered, one of our journalists covered a case of a man who uh, went mad on an aeroplane and went berserk and uh, um, tried to smash the window in the, in the, uh, the aeroplane. And he, he appeared in court. And our journalist um, went up to him afterwards and uh, he, he, he um, pleaded guilty and interviewed him. So it was, a, it was an interesting experiment because... The guy was happy to talk, so he did a full interview and said, I want to apologise to all the people who were on the plane with me. Um, I, you know, it was, I feel really ashamed of what I did. And the, um, you know, this is, this is um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to uh, speak to you about it. And then, um, but after, the, after, we, uh, after we sort of finished, there was no, he obviously knew he was talking to a journalist from the MEN, um, but we, after we finished, we looked at the video and thought, did he actually know he was being filmed? Because um, obviously when you're wearing the camera, it's not that obvious. And um, we th we had a, it was a bit of a, a moral dilemma really for us was because you're obviously allowed to film people outside court without their consent. You're allowed to take their picture. Um, and he did know that he was talking to a journalist um, and he was happy to be quoted, but we weren't sure whether he knew we were filming him. And so we actually, what we actually did was we actually... Got, got in touch with him and said, you know, we, did you know we were filming you and are you happy to use the video? And he said he didn't know, but he was happy for us to use the video. So that was, um, it was quite interesting to see that using this technology in this way actually produces a, um, a different, a, sort of a new moral, uh, moral uh, enters into a, into a new moral area, I suppose, that isn't really well defined. And the other things we used the wearable camera for was um, that we got, the bottom right uh, is um, a councillor in Manchester. You, can't, you might not be able to see, but he's actually wearing the Google Glass. So we got him to wear the glass to a council meeting. So we were able to see what a council meeting looked like from the point of view of one of the councillors. So um, Google Glass has gone away a little bit, but I think wearable cameras uh, in general is an interesting um, new technology that perhaps we will explore again uh, later. Um, the... Um, 
And I think the other thing with video as well is that we're, we've experimented with interactive video. So we, uh, this was an example we did for our title in Derby where they did eight, um, eight people were being commemorated and plaques in the city centre. And people were able to choose which story they wanted to hear out of the eight um, and click on the video. So there, I think there's a lot of potential in that. That's an early uh, sort of a new technology which is only really developing. But I think, again, that idea that people would be able to find the story that they want rather than us telling us the story that we want to tell them is interesting. And that uh, isn't, I suppose that principle runs through a lot of the new technology that we're applying to regional journalism. Um, in, instead of us telling uh, the story in 300 words, we, we're, we're building uh, widgets or gadgets that say to people, go in and find the story that's relevant to you. So the, um, this was, we, we have a data journalism unit which is based um, in a few of our newsrooms, mainly in Manchester, but they produced quite a few of these uh, widgets, so isolated communities. So they produced a score for how connected a community is compared, you know, looking at how close the, the, um, how many schools, libraries, and other amenities are in the area. And they came up with a score. So the, um, you put in your postcode and it tells you what, how well connected your particular community is. And then just down to when there's a, a big vote in parliament, we've got a, a widget there that we use quite a lot nowadays. And if you just think, who, how did my MP vote? Instead of having to go through a list of 650 MPs, you can then, you can just put in your constituency and it will tell you how your MP voted. And so um, that principle of allowing people to find the story that's relevant to them. And again, we, we see that time and again with, with data journalism. And we did a big project in Manchester on um, the Manchester Blitz. So um, plotting the, the, where, where people were killed in the Christmas Blitz. There was two nights of bombing in Manchester and people were able to see where people died near them. And I think that that is one of the big ways that we are able to use technology to um, tell stories is by allowing people to find the story that they, they are interested in. And that sort of principle of personalization, um, we developed down a few different avenues. For, um, we have looked at a few chatbots. Um, this was one we built for the last election. Again, this was, um, we called this Emmeline. So Emmeline was a, um, a chatbot on Facebook for the Manchester Evening News, and she answered questions about voting. Um, so it started off with being, are you registered to vote? And if not, this is where you can, you know, pointing the people into the direction of, the, of how you register to vote. And then it was people were able to ask information about what is, um, who's standing, you know, who are the candidates in my constituency? Um, you know, can you tell me a bit about them? Uh, what was the result in my constituency in the last election? Where is the nearest polling station? Um, and all of that was geared towards people had to surrender their postcode to get that. Um, but all of that was geared around personalising the information around the election for each, um, in, not just down to constituency level, but down to postcode level. And I think that was really that was a really interesting experiment, which um, we will develop again further. And the um, one other thing we did on a similar vein is um, we did a chatbot that was based on an object. So there's a there's a post box in Manchester, the Arndale post box, which was famous because it was it was right next to where the bomb went off in 1996, the IRA bomb, which um, devastated the Arndale shopping centre. 
but the Arndale post box didn't have a scratch on it. So it was, there's, a, there's a famous picture of this scene of devastation and that post box just stood there in, uh, with, a, you know, with still gleaming red. Um, and so this post box, we, we had the idea that we would have, uh, people would be able to talk to it. Um, in this case, it was a Twitter bot, but we overlaid um, data onto, the, onto that location. And uh, some of it was live data like the weather, but also sort of ambient data like crime figures. So people were able to ask, how dangerous is it around here? What's the, what's the, uh, what are the crime rates? Um, what are the latest crime rates? How they've gone up and down? And we also um, looked at um, the one, what probably the thing that was got the, mo the most positive feedback for our, our test group was you're able to ask the Arndale Post box, where can I get a decent burger around here? You know, so you're able to overlay recommendations for places to go and eat. So um, that, and that was, a, you know, we were able to, that, they were able to send that back to the website to get those recommendations. So I think it was interesting for us because, again, we're talking about a very particular point. Um, you, you don't have to surrender your postcode either because you, you're, you're talking to a post box we're assuming that you're nearby. Uh, and so it was a way of us giving people local information that where we know more or less exactly where they are. Um, one of the other sort of projects we've worked on, and these, this was funded by Google, so we've worked with um, some academics at the University of Central Lancashire on uh, an Internet of Things project. So the, um, this received um, a big, big, big uh, fund from the Google Digital News Innovation Fund. And we worked with um, readers, so we, we had a, a focus group in Manchester and Bristol asking people how they consume news and how, what sort of connected devices we could develop that people would perhaps um, consume regional news in the future. And it went in some pretty unexpected um, but interesting directions. So we ended up building three products and these are the three here. The one at the back, which um, looks like a printer, is a printer, so we didn't expect that um, people would be interested in having printed news. But one of the things that came very strongly from the, um, from the focus groups was that people felt they wanted a break from their devices, and particularly at night, they wanted to leave their phone downstairs, but they wanted to catch up on news. So they wanted to catch up on news stories that they'd seen during the day that they thought might be of interest. And so that printer allowed people to bookmark news stories and then print out a personalised news feed that they would then be able to read in bed without straining their eyes looking at a screen. So that was that. Um, as I say, we didn't really expect that to be one of the things that people wanted, but that's the way it went. Um, there was the, the one in the bottom left is a is, um, cone, is a cone, it was called cone thing. So that was printer thing at the back. Cone thing was a, um, a way of people personalising a text-to-speech. So people could um, say get a news feed for the Manchester Evening News gets articles read out um, from the website, but what, they were, what the cone thing was allow, would allow them to do would filter out types of news. So if they were thinking, I don't want to hear about anyone being stabbed or any crime, I, do, I only want to hear good news, they would be able to filter, turn the cone thing to say, I only want upbeat, positive news, or, or I want all the news. Or it might, the other, another application might be, well, I've got my kids in the kitchen at the moment, and I don't want them to hear about anything you know, them, anyone being stabbed or any kids dying. So I want to filter out any stories about that or child sex crimes. 
um, or you know, if and if they're out of the room, I'll turn it, I'll turn it back on again, and I get the full news. So that was the idea behind that, and that's um, so that was a that that because um, it was a connected device, it was able to draw down the latest headlines. And the last one at the front was a social media monitoring um, device, which um, that was called. I don't know what it's called, but anyway, basically that um, was a device that sat on the news desk and monitored a Facebook feed. So it monitored the Manchester Evening News Facebook page. And whenever there was a strong reaction, either positive or negative, to a particular post, then it moved. So, the, um, so basically the, it moved on the desk and it moved one way or another. And the idea behind that is that if you're a social media manager and you want to know when something quite big is happening on your Facebook page and you're, but you're not actually looking at it at that point in time, this would give you a really strong visual cue that um, there's something going on, you need to go in there and look at it. And they, we do find this with sometimes with a Facebook page, there might be something that went on the site that people are really angry about. You know, there might be, this has happened before, um, an example was uh, there was a festival, music festival, and the photographer put in a load of pictures from the festival and almost, well, unwittingly, he'd taken a picture of some people climbing over a fence and people were angry because they thought it would, it, it, they basically, the pictures weren't very flattering for the people climbing over the fence. So there was a lot, that was building up into quite an extreme reaction in the Facebook comments, which obviously, that, if that had gone unchecked, then that could have, you know, built up and been a problem for the, for the website. So the social media manager would have been alerted and then could go in and take that picture down and deal with it. So those are the those are the connected devices, and we are hoping to develop those further. We apply for further funding, um, but those are, I think offered us an interesting idea, uh, insight into where news might move into connected devices. And uh, there's another Google-funded um, project that we're working on now, which is called SenseMaker, where we're looking at how can we use uh, sensors to gather data that will um, produce news. So this is very, very early stages at the moment. Um, we, just, we just had our first meeting last week. Um, but the, we're looking at one of the ideas that's come out, which I think is quite interesting, is that very often news desks get um, phone calls from people saying, I'm living in a rented, rented accommodation and my home is not fit for human habitation. It's too damp, it's too noisy, it's too dirty. Um, and or you know they, we, I think it's dangerous levels of gases in it and if if the journalists were able to give that person a, a sensor or a you know a, a group of sensors they take home then that could gather the data um, about their home the, the maybe the humidity or the um, temperature or the noise and that would get, that would that would then arm them arm those people in their in their sort of struggle to in, get improvements in their housing uh, so that was one idea that came out and there was also a couple of ideas around homelessness and gathering data around the conditions for people who are living on the streets. Um, but as I say, that's in the early stages. And we are looking at um, how we'd be able to, how journalists can shape that as well. So we're you know, trying to get the journalists involved to talk about what would be useful for them. Um, we are looking, uh, we are looking at some interesting things, uh, developments in AI. The, um, we have a couple of our news sites do uh, a, a briefing, a morning briefing for Alexa. Uh, we do it in Wales and in Liverpool. And um, what we found was that it's quite difficult to produce a professional quality 
um, broadcast, especially if it's been done by some, one person on their own in the newsroom who hasn't got the, the equipment or isn't trained. Um, one, of, one of the things that Alexa does have is it has a, a Welsh accent built into the development tools. And so we, what we experimented with in Wales is develop, using that. I'll see if this works. Uh, That work? Right. So the um, so. Uh, there is a, a there's a built-in Welsh voice, so we can get a text-to-speech um, automated bulletin that is with, in a Welsh accent. And the um, the surprising thing about that, well, maybe not surprising because we knew the quality wasn't great beforehand, is that people prefer the robot to the journalist. So people, um, and that's become across in the reviews. And the um, we've got one in Liverpool as well, which um, again we have some problems with quality unfortunately there isn't a Liverpool accent in the development tools yet but if there was we'd probably try that out as well um, but the you know that is um, that's I think that's been really interesting and the other um, big AI project we've been involved in is the the um, you may have heard of the radar project which is a press association experiment again this was funded by Google but they produce um, they use um, natural language generation and AI to find, uh, do local versions of data stories. So if you've got a spreadsheet that's got, say, the number of, uh, of five-year-olds who are not ready for school in every single local authority in the UK, they can build a template which will then um, you know, draw, draw out lines from that spreadsheet, press a button, and produce nearly 300 different versions of that story, 300 different stories, but they're all... Um, relevant to a particular area. Um, so that was uh, an experiment or a trial that we've been running for more or less a year now. And it, um, it's been really interesting that it has actually produced lots of copy that's been used not only as, you know, filler in the newspapers, but been front page stories. And they've been generated from, effectively, by AI. Yeah, so they are, um, there's, there is some journalism involved because the journalist has to write that template um, but if you looked at that, um, that sort of those first three pars, they would be they would be writing sort of a, a formula for the first first word, I suppose. Then children in formula could be starting school without basic school, so that that would be your intro. And then you would have just, and then pull in that figure. Children in, pull in this name. We're at a good level in the 20. So so there is a sort of there's there's text there's a, there's journalism around it, but the different versions of the story are relevant to each area. So that's um, I think has been really interesting and has actually worked for a lot of titles. And I suppose the other thing, the other where the other place where AI and automation is completely changing the newsroom is the um, is in the lead generation, and we we using we use data miner and other tools which actually tell journalists when a story is breaking you know they can they can um, they can be told when a story is breaking in a patch that they cover or in an area that they cover um, and they can set up the parameters on, to, on what alerts come through and in many cases many stories that you'll see on our websites will have, will have originated from 
uh, an automated tip from social media. So, yeah, going back to the point um, I started on really is the, um, the data, the sort of the, the, the amount of data that we have on our audience. Um, and, I, and I think this has been, this is really changing journalism again, you know, at the moment in our newsrooms. We're seeing lots of new jobs created and different um, career structures as well and different newsroom structures. And the, um, I think with the, you know, with the amount of data that we've got about our audience, we know in very, very minute detail what stories they read, what they go on to read, where they've come from. And um, you know, I suppose we've seen the manifestation of that has been things like fake news and content farms and link clickbait. Um, but I think it's also, um, you know, it's also given... Uh, it opens up really interesting questions about how how journalists are sort of judged, I suppose, and how they how ju journalists work within a newsroom because newsroom managers will have very um, detailed data about how many stories each journalist has written and how many um, people have read those stories, and so by that you can see, you know, I suppose you can get one idea is how prolific someone is, but also you can see actually that person might write a fraction of stories of the other person but get a far bigger audience and it's what you do with that information I suppose how you what you do with that data do you and how you uh, you know how you managed a group of journalists so um, yeah how whether you use it to help people build a bigger audience for the stories that they're doing or cover different stories um, and I think that's the interesting things that we're um, that our newsroom managers are are grappling with now but um, I think the important thing is is that um, many people will see that sort of will see that sort of slide and see that um, that idea and think, well, that's what link that what leads to clickbait. And that, you know, and that, yeah, I saw this tweet earlier on today, which made me smile. And I think, you know, clickbait has become, you know, from being uh, mis uh, you know, tricking people into reading a story to get the programmatic revenue, it's become clickbait has become any story you disagree with, basically. And um, the, the uh, so I I, I um, yeah, we, we get that, uh, I suppose the fear is, is that, that can that's what it will lead to if you're only going for the stories that get the biggest audience. Um, but I think that what we're trying to do, and I think we're succeeding, is to use that data to see what we can do to build an audience around the journalism that we and I think our audiences and probably everyone here thinks is the sort of journalism we should be doing. You know, how can we build a bigger audience for the journalism that matters and the journalism that people um, think is worth, um, yeah, worth fighting for, I suppose. And the, um, you know, I think that we are seeing that. These are all headlines on the Chronicle today. Um, yeah, the people will, people often accuse journalists at the Chronicle and other sites of just chasing the audience, but these are all really important stories, and they are stories that are prominent on the website. You know, these are stories that are being covered. It's not. Um, case of just chasing after the, you know, after the biggest audience. Um, but the gratifying thing is, is that because we're getting better at learning how to pitch stories and also building, story, building audiences around certain topics, um, these stories are getting the biggest audience. So that story was the top story when I had a quick look earlier on this morning. The most read story, most read news stories on the Chronicle website was a story about benefits and benefits tests being cut which is very much within the, the sort of the, re, the, the remit of what I think most people will think is what the Chronicle should be covering. So the data about the audience doesn't have to lead to um, dumbing down or clickbait. It can and should 
and is leading to us covering those stories, those local stories better and reaching a bigger audience. So that's all for me. It's uh, happy to answer questions. You've been listening to JLab, a podcast brought to you by the Civic Journalism Lab in association with Newcastle University and BBC North East and Cumbria. I'm Ian Wiley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>